0: Welcome to The Coaching Call with Trav and Jasper. This is an unedited, unfiltered look at my personal journey back to sport. Over the next four months I have some big goals in the gravel cycling world and I want to share that journey with you. For context, I've spent the last two and a half years building my business in a Voice and NTSQ Sports Group, supporting my wife Lauren in her own running goals, and helping raise our two-year-old daughter Adelina. As you'll hear, I've lost touch with myself and my own athletic goals. I've fallen victim to many excuses, not having enough time, I'm too busy to train, things like that. I want to shift my own mindset and hopefully help you shift your mindset of what is possible too. Today and every week, I'm joined by Jasper Blake, who is the founding head coach of B78 Coaching. He's also a legend of Canadian triathlon and one of the wisest people in the endurance sports world. The coaching call is designed to keep me accountable during my build-up, but more importantly, it's a chance to share knowledge and interact with you, the inner voice community. In the future, we'll take questions, delve further into the ups and downs that come with setting goals and the build-up to big challenges. You can follow along with my progress on Strava, and if you're interested in pursuing your own goals in endurance sports, Jasper is your guide. You can find Jasper's contact details in the show notes. The coaching call is a part of the inner voice audio experience. If you enjoy this episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe to our channel and leave a five-star review wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. On today's episode, we cover travel and training for the busy athlete, recovery tools, tips and the basics. Nutrition, why there is no silver bullet. Also why do we sometimes feel better after a hard effort? I also recap my race from the Rasputitsa gravel race including the gory details of the mud, snow and epic conditions. Also, learning from trying and finding joy in the challenge. You'll notice in my voice that I'm tired. Last week was my biggest week of training in a number of years, so it's to be expected. The important part to note that this coaching call and each and every one is real. Not every week is going to be perfect. The fatigue, the lack of motivation that I'm experiencing is something that I'm sure anyone training for a big goal will also experience. Please enjoy week three of the Coaching Call with Trav and Jasper. Jasper, how are you, mate? Welcome back. Coaching Call week three, lots and lots to talk about. Um, I'm excited that uh, we get to do this every week. It's, uh, it's a bit of a, a treat for me to be able to have this regular call with you. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, thanks. and uh, funny enough I feel the same way I I feel like it's such a great opportunity to chat about uh, the ins and outs the ups and downs and all the stuff that goes along with an athlete's journey so I really enjoyed them as well. And uh, week three, here we go.
0: Here we go. Um, yeah, lot to talk about, lot to catch up on. Um, for anyone who might be listening for the first time, um, I am Travis McKenzie, and I'm talking to Jasper Blake, who's the founding head coach of B78 Coaching, um, based in Victoria, BC. Ironman champion, legend of Canadian triathlon. Um, and you were just telling me a story before we got on air about uh, you and your gang, the Viking Crew, and. I want you to tell tell the listener about you and the Viking crew because it's, it's a super cool little story that you shared with me before we started recording.
1: <laughs> well, I I was saying how I have my regular right life groove and rhythm and part of that is uh, a really fun group of, of guys that I get together with regularly and we're kind of all of the same mindset that stress is a good thing, like discomfort is a good thing. And so we, we uh, seek that out in a way. And one of the things we do is um, some cold water uh, work. Um, there's probably lots of people out there uh, familiar with Wim Hof and the Wim Hof method of uh, kind of cold water submersion. Uh, so out here on the West Coast uh, in the Pacific, we uh, the, the ocean never really warms up, especially this far north. Um and not that we're super far north, we're just north of Seattle, but the, the ocean down there would be the same. And, uh, you know, it probably fluctuates between about six and 10 degrees year round, even in the summer. And so we go into the ocean uh, once a week and kind of go in uh, right up to our necks and hang out there for uh, <laughs> a long enough period of time that, it takes us about three hours to warm up <laughs> Love it. so Love it. um yeah, I know it's it's just uh, a fun uh way to expose your body and your brain to you know a form of discomfort that's really awful, but uh you know you, you actually do get used to it and you adapt, and uh it's kind of fun, so
0: yeah, and I guess the camaraderie too, you know, knowing that you're uh, you're all going to show up at the same time every week, and um, you know you build that bond through mutual suffering um, over that time, I guess, as well.
1: Hundred percent, and it's so much easier to do that with other people. Yeah, a uh, lot harder to get in there on your own. So, peer pressure is real,
0: <laughs> which <laughs> and is effective. Effective, and that's uh, that's a part of, I guess, why we're doing this or having this call is that. You know, not so much peer pressure, but the accountability—knowing that people are interested to hear and they're checking in on on the progress and the journey—and um, you know—and it's real because not every day I have felt like getting up and um, and working out or training. But um, knowing that people are interested in following, it's helped um, you know get me over the line a couple of times to to go out and actually do the do the work, which is cool. Um,
1: mm-hmm. I yeah, guess, I think we, yeah. have, we actually talked about that a little bit in the first call and that's the, the idea that it's often easier to show up uh and be accountable to other people than it is to yourself which is odd but a lot of times true
0: yeah yeah absolutely um let's uh you talk there about life rhythm too and i think um one thing that you know we've had so far within the first uh four weeks or so of the program is my life has been pretty well in a rhythm there you know we haven't i haven't really traveled i haven't uh you know, we've been to, we went to Maine a couple of times, but that's, um, you know, an easy two hour drive and uh, I have access to pretty much everything I need there as well. But this week, uh, had a trip to New York for a couple of days and, um, noticed a little bit of a shift in my, um, energy levels and noticed a shift in, you know, you kind of go from this mindset of having a routine and a rhythm to all of a sudden that's thrown a bit of a curveball and, um, it probably came at a good time. It's an easier week this week, but I think, uh, it still adds another layer of kind of logistics and complexity to uh, consistency and just staying on top of of the program and the and the routine. Um, how do you as a coach think about those type of things? You know, you've got athletes who are, you know, busy in their lives and their jobs and families and travel and things like that. What's the general consideration that you have for someone like myself who, you know, is traveling quite a bit as well?
1: Well, first of all, I think I recognize that it is one of the most challenging uh, things to deal with, um, both from the coaching perspective, but mostly uh, as the athlete on the other end of it. Uh, I think, you know, that it really can throw you for a loop um, and make it very challenging. And I'm under no, uh, you know, misunderstanding that when people do travel, it's it's very challenging on a number of fronts. Uh, usually sleep uh, decreases, your ability to train decreases. Just from a time perspective, often when people are traveling, it might be for work. So, you know, they have work stuff to do and it's usually quite intense if they're on the road. Um, you're in an unfamiliar place. So, you know, maybe your usual run routes or ride routes or the gym you go to, Uh, You have to figure all that out again. So there's a lot of stuff going on when people travel and it really can affect their life rhythm. And I'm a big, big fan of the life rhythm. I think our bodies and our brains like consistency. Um, I think in training, consistency is absolutely crucial. Uh, You know, long term consistency, the, the ability to back your weeks up over and over is a really good thing. Um, so travel really uh is challenging um, when people have to do it frequently and mm-hmm. and the reality is uh, a lot of the people we work with and people in general that that 's just their reality you know you have to um, you you have to go on work trips yeah. um, so what do you do so you know the considerations we make from the coaching end uh it's really important from my end to know as much as possible about the people we work with like well in advance. Yeah. So, you know, not only your race schedule, but knowing your travel times and you've always been really good about that. Like letting me know when you have to travel and when I'm building things out, so not the individual workouts week to week, but when I'm looking at the big picture, when I know that you have a block of travel coming up, uh, usually I'll try and structure some recovery or lighter weeks in and around that travel time so that the uh, expectation for you can kind of come down a little bit and so that you can just relax a little bit when you go on these things because I think there's nothing worse for an athlete than having you know this block of workouts you have to do and it's you just can't do it yeah whether yeah whether you don't have the facilities to do it whether you don't have the time to do it you know, it it can be very frustrating if you, as, as we mentioned before, if you have a bunch of red boxes up in your training peaks account. Yeah. Um, So I do my best as a coach to structure the training in a way that accommodates those work times, but also, you know, there are things you can do when you're away. We just we, it doesn't have to be uh, the usual. It can be trimmed down a little bit. You can still do something really great in thirty to sixty minutes, and then you, you at least feel good about that,
0: so yeah totally, yeah, and I think that's the beauty of you know things like hotel gyms or the beauty of being able to just take your pack your runners and and go for a run and things like that, and you know there's so many great mapping tools these days with strava and think and others that allow you to pre-plan, pre-plan some of those routes bef- ahead of time. So, you know, somewhat mm-hmm. somewhat on the athlete standpoint is just being organized and, and understanding the logistics of kind of what you've got to achieve and then obviously the communication to your coach around, you know, what are the expectations or, or what could be feasible while you are away just so there's no misunderstandings there. Um One thing that I found interesting this week was, you know, just the – uh, and we can get into last week, but just a general sense of kind of fatigue. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, there's, you know, I get up early for a trip, and then you're probably sleeping a little bit less. And, you know, you know, a lot of people don't have really great sleeps when they're away from home. And there's that, you know, consistency in your sleep environment, that's super important now, um, with a lot of the research on sleep. So, um, you know, a lot of those factors, and then you kind of come home a little bit, uh a little bit tired. But and I think, it's obviously circumstantial, but that's my general feeling today is I'm just feeling, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, a lull and a bit of fatigue, I guess, that's uh, built up from last week as well as the, as the, as well as the trip.
1: Hmm. And yeah, I can hear it in your voice. Yeah. Like, I think, uh, yeah. I, I can hear it. You're tired. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not surprised. And the travel is one thing. Uh, you know, you mentioned before we, we started recording that you were, um, you know, just you have to be on socially for those work trips. You have to be fully engaged. Um, sometimes it can feel a bit frantic. And so there's a fatigue level there. But if we look at the last few weeks of training for you uh, physically, there's going to be a huge uh, fatigue component as well. And not only that, but you capped off that block of training with, uh, with your, your, your gravel event on Saturday and then a big ride on Sunday, which you got done. So, uh, entirely not surprised that you're tired. Um, it's not a bad thing. I mean, that, that's, that's, you need to get to this state, uh, to have done, you know, that's what training load does is it makes you tired. Yeah. Um, you know, you not You're not supposed to feel perfect and awesome and totally refreshed all the time. You're supposed to challenge what you're capable of and actually get yourself tired, so that when you recover, uh, your body overcompensates and adapts and ultimately gets fitter. But you have to have that space to recover. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's that's the point, I guess, is not digging yourself too deep um, or going too far into the hole. Acknowledging the fact and that you are you know you are getting get it tired but that's what that recovery process is like um you know you talked briefly about the weekend and one thing that i um, i'll talk about the race um a little later on but that that second workout or the the second big effort on the weekend the four-hour ride that i did um after mm-hmm. racing on the saturday um one thing i wanted to ask you so i i actually um you know the first 30 minutes was awful i was so tired and sluggish and just felt like I don't know how I'm going to continue to ride for four hours. But then as soon as the work started, um, you know, a three-hour set piece of, of work, I felt amazing. I felt so strong. I My heart rate, you know, was under control for the entire effort. Uh, I felt really, really strong. Now, I have two questions for you. Physic, physically or physio, the physiology behind that, you know, a big hard effort the day before, Heart rate was, you know, for a 90 minute section was the highest that it's ever been, um, according to training peaks. Like, mm-hmm. does it have an, that much of an immediate impact that, you know, you shock your heart to be able to work at a higher level and then you go down to these lower aerobic levels and I immediately felt stronger? Or is it a combination of, uh, of the, the psychology of it, of, of feeling stronger or just being mentally stronger, um, around those efforts? What's, what's kind of your understanding of, both the physiology and the psychology of, of an effort like that on after a, a big week of work?
1: Yeah, so great question. Uh, first, I'll talk about the physiology part of it, so the, the physical part of it. Um, the answer is no. On the Sunday, the day after, you're not physically fitter. Uh, if anything, you're physically weaker. You're, uh, you know, you, you have a big effort. Um, you don't realize all the physiological adaptations in 12 hours or whatever it was from the time you ended the gravel race to the big four hour ride. Um, It doesn't really work that way. Um, It takes longer for all of those adaptations to, uh occur and typically you know that's we we haven't talked about tapering yet because we're not even close to there but you know typically tapers are you know two to three week range and and part of that is so that you have you know you realize all the fitness gains but you also recover so to answer your first question physiologically no if anything you were uh slightly weaker the day after because you're beat up and you did a really hard effort the day before um So, to address your next question, uh, or the next part of it, why did I feel so good on the Sunday? Well, you know what, it could have kind of gone either way, and as you noticed, the first 30-ish minutes of that actually felt pretty horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, When you have very deep fatigue, um, not that this was very deep, but you were tired from the day before, uh, it can take sometimes longer to warm up, so uh the deeper your fatigue. Sometimes it just takes 30, 40, 50, sometimes 60 minutes to actually get your body to a place where it feels warmed up because it's tired. Um, but once you do warm up, um what I would say was happening to you on that Sunday was more not psychological, but kind of psychological, and that would be tolerance. So mm-hmm. um, and I I'm not pulling this from any scientific study or anything but I I think there's fitness and there's tolerance and they're related but they're not exactly the same thing so I think part of what you're experiencing was just that a higher tolerance for work so the day before you had done 90 minutes at like as you said the the hardest you know longest sustained high heart rate you'd ever had Um, and then on the Sunday you get to go and do basically a four hour endurance ride where the intensity is quite a bit lower. Yeah. Um, so your, your tolerance for work is very high because the day before you're, you're just crushing it. Like you're wondering if you're going to hang on and now you get to go do this other ride. The other part of it that you're probably experiencing is, is, uh, just that your pedal stroke probably felt really good. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a, there's a neuromuscular component or a coordination component, um, where, you probably just felt actually good pedaling your bike. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but on the one hand, physically, physiologically, no, you're not fitter 12 hours later. Yeah. Um, in a week from now, you probably will have realized that when we, when we kind of get you through this recovery, we can actually allow space for you to recover um, and adapt. Um, but it was, you know, probably partly psychological partly tolerance partly pedal stroke and coordination and how it felt
0: yeah so. no that's a great answer and i think um you know it's good good insight to to think about those type of things because um, it's not you know it's not always black and white there's a lot of gray in there and a lot of things that it could be put down to um and i think you know thinking back to my history i actually love you know, that's why I love multi-day rides. That's why I love training camps. That's why I love those type of, you know, big day-after-day um, blocks of work because I have that sense usually as it gets closer to the end of those types of things that I am feeling stronger um, and it's nice to yeah. kind of think about, you know, some of the things that that could be down to. Um, but, yeah, that's been my general kind of feeling. Like I feel good about backing up after hard efforts day after day. Um Mm -hmm. in my past so um yeah yeah um the other thing with that sunday workout uh, as soon as the three hours was done and the 30 minute cool down was about to start uh i felt like i I couldn't pedal another stroke so there's probably (laughs) part of the answer there the last 30 minutes i was really dragging my ass so
1: (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) that's funny yeah um yeah well that's kind of interesting i mean yeah you're you're just at the end of your tether and and that's that's partly from the the day before the saturday but that's also from the last few weeks that you've done such a great job on so you know you you should be tired and and kind of at the end of your rope and um you know the the goal is to kind of walk you to the edge of the precipice but not push you right off and i think uh this block timed out really well for you Mm -hmm. um as I said, you can hear it in your voice. You're clearly tired. You clearly need the next three ish days here to really unload and rest and fully recover. Yeah. Um and so it's good that this is in there now. Um and I think yeah, we it just that little block I think is timed out really well for you. Yeah. It's good.
0: Yeah, and I was, I, you know, I, let's, we can talk more about the race um, as well, but, you know, in essence, last week was 15, almost 15 and a half hours of training so or, or work, um, including the race. So, you know, I haven't done that um, volume of, of training for quite a long time now. So I'm not, you know, I'm not surprised at all that that is the way that I'm feeling. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the race. So, Rasputitsa... Uh, is Russian for mud season. Um, it's a race that happens up in Burke Mountain in v- northern Vermont. Um, actually, not that far from the Canadian border. Um, it's. Uh, I think it's been around five or six years now. Um, wo- I drove up on this Friday night before the race, so it's a three-hour drive from Boston. Um, I got in about nine thirty. Kind of went straight to sleep. So, it was already a re- little bit out of rhythm there. I think. Um, woke up. It was in the condo. It was four degrees Celsius. Uh, it was raining. I was lucky that I was 30 seconds away from the start. So I kind of like waited <laughs> under the awning of the condo before I, the last minute before I had to roll out there, um, which was good for the sense I didn't have to stand in, in the rain. But I think obviously no, absolutely no warm up before the race, probably not the best. Um, and then rolled into uh, 60, almost 65 Ks uh, on gravel, which was complete mud. It was, uh, there was not, not a dry road to be found. There was a one mile section of snow and kind of like, uh, ankle deep mud that I managed to ride through. A lot of people didn't make it through. It was slow going. It was a hard slog. There was, uh, 1400 meters of climbing. Um, so 4200 feet of climbing over that 40 miles or that 65 Ks. Um, so quite hilly. Um, and really, and I put in my notes, I just kind of had no pop in my legs. I just felt, you know, fatigued right from the start. Um, and I, you know, the, the the course rolls down. It's a two or three K straight descent right from the, the mountain mountain to the base. Um, and then you turn a corner and you're straight up a hill. And I kind of, any aspirations I had of staying with the front group uh, went away right on that first climb. And I found that... Um, I would lose a lot of ground on the climbs but then I was able to you know ride over the top because I kept my my effort pretty measured I was able to ride right over the top strongly and then any flats or downhills I felt really comfortable in my descending um on the on the roads and there was a lot of ruts and things like that so I was I was somewhat cautious but I made up a lot of time and then felt super strong in any um you know flat road uh, I was able to really put some power and pressure through the pedals Um, But as soon as we went uphill again, I felt, um, you know, I lost quite a lot of ground. So, I think there's a few things there to work on for us. Um, But, you know, that amount of climbing over that short amount of distance is is tough. Um, Yeah, and then uh, drove home pretty much straight off the race. So, that was probably added to the fatigue as well, just jumping straight in the car and, and driving home. But... Um, anything, was there anything that you kind of saw in the, in the, um, I guess in the log files, um, that you found interesting or any kind of questions or thoughts you had for me about the race?
1: Um, no, not like, not too much. I think it's fairly typical of any event where, um, especially cycling, you know, your effort level throughout this thing was, was high. Um, and that's to be expected. That's kind of bike races. Now you couple that with, the fact that you're on gravel, um, and the conditions just sounded horrific. <laughs> um, that'll add to the overall uh, stress. But your your effort throughout this, uh, to be perfectly honest, was to be expected. Like it was it was quite high. Yeah. Um, and I think you know if we just look at some of your your numbers, like your you know the heart rate values and stuff that we have for you from over the years. I mean, one thing I look for was to say, just, just, you know, placing aside and the fact that, you know, the, the, uh, you didn't stay with that front group. Um, that aside, if we actually look at the effort that you put out based on the numbers we have for you, I mean, it was pretty massive. Um, you know, you're, you're at, or kind of around that second threshold that we have for you, uh, For a long, long time, like this was a a a monster of an effort for you. Mm -hmm. So, you know whether you you hung on or not is kind of aside from the point. That the point is that this was a really big stress training stress for you, and will ultimately serve you well down the road um, because you you know you're not you're not you're never going to do this kind of effort in training. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, the, The other thing I'll say too is. You know, the, the way this race rolls out where you kind of roll out and it's downhill, you said, for the first little bit. And I'm just looking at the file now. Um, but then you have like, you know, from about 30 minutes into this thing all the way to, you know, an hour 30. So you have about an hour where you're going uphill. Yeah. Um, like you're just climbing and climbing and climbing. And that doesn't necessarily lend itself particularly well to a guy of like of your physical stature. Yeah. Um, you know, this is like this is like a climber's dream, mm-hmm. right? This is. And and so in cycling, we know that from the big events, there's climbers, there's sprinters, there's diesel engines that can power away on flat terrain and, and pull their whole team. Um, and they're all different shapes and sizes and they have different strengths. And. Um, you know, climbing as hard as you can for an hour probably doesn't fit into the Travis McKenzie like strength department. Yeah. Um, it doesn't say we can't make it better and get you there. Um, but you just physically are probably more like a George Hincappy, for example. Um, you know, a, a, a bigger guy who can just power away. So when you say I felt really good on the, the flatter terrain and I had lots of power, well, that doesn't surprise me either because. Your ability to produce absolute power, where weight and size isn't as much of a factor, is high. Yeah. Uh, but then, as soon as you do a one-hour climb, um, where you know watts per kilo would be the the, the most important factor, um, it's a little harder for you to be competitive. So that's probably where you got spit out, and then you have more of the pure climbers that are that are able to to kind of get away from you yeah but if this was a a flatter event i I don't think that would have been the case yeah
0: yeah and i think you know comparing that to um the race i did in Stillwater, you know comparatively to the the top guys um you know I i was a lot closer percentage wise at that event and it was a that is a lot um a lot more suited to my stature as you say like it's a you know rolling course and a lot of flat, a lot of um, a chance to kind of, you know, push the pace a little bit on the flat. So, um, you know, I, I acknowledged right from the start mentally that, you know, there's no point getting upset by the fact that these little skinny kids are riding away from me. It's – uh I, I actually like – this was actually probably one of the most fun days I've had on a bike and in a race ever. It was – um it was just so much fun. It started snowing about 30 minutes in. So the higher we climbed, like we got up to about 2100 feet and it was bucketing down with snow. Um, here, yeah. here I am, this Aussie guy who still gets excited when he sees snow, turning around and looking at all these people with these faces that would like miserable. They're like, get me out of here. And I've got this beaming smile, excited about what we were doing. So it was, um, it was, I had a lot of fun and I, acknowledge the effort that I put in and I think it was pretty consistent and I got to the finish line and I was like, well, that, that's it. Like. Give me more, which is probably good because thinking towards steamboat, we'd got another hundred miles to go, so that's probably good yeah. that I'm looking for extra. But um
1: Yeah. Yeah, there was yeah. no
0: moment in the day where I felt like I'd mentally quit or I got upset about anything. It was just, you know, this sense of joy and enjoyment that I that I experienced, which for me was a real positive because that hasn't always necessarily been um my history in in racing. So Um, That was something that I, you know, I take away from that as well.
1: Yeah, and Trav, you just hit on something that's so valuable because we can look at these files all we want. You know, I've got it up on the screen right now. It shows all the data that came in from that, so I can look at that as a coach and I can, and I can make evaluations based on that and see what happened. And and first of all, just to touch on one point to do with the data, um, one of the things I look for is is uh, a downward trend in heart rate um, as as the event goes on and usually that tells me that you either blew up or you gave up yeah um, and in your case it, there's not that at all in fact if we look you know if i look you know way that way down in into the two hour 40 mark of this event i mean you're still at a heart rate that's like very challenging and high for you so I can tell just from this file and from the metrics that this was like a really solid, honest effort from start to finish. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I wanted to say, and we talked a little bit about uh, the data or the data last week is I'm more interested in what it actually felt like for you. And so when I hear you talk and, and use the language like, Hey, it was a really good effort and there wasn't really any point where I felt like I'd given up on myself and, I just pushed and I had fun. This back um, is very valuable for me. Um, And sometimes people won't put those comments in the workout notes. So all I'm left with is the data. And I don't actually know, like, how did this person actually feel about this thing? Um, Because I think there's lots of value there. And I think it's so important that that's how you felt throughout this thing. Because I'm looking at this thing, it even gives me temperature. Yeah. And you basically, from 30, from thirty minutes from thirty minutes into this race, you were below zero. So yeah. you centigrade. So if you're listening in the, uh, uh, did I use centigrade? Isn't that like old school Yeah, British that's general? real. That's real old. Real. <laughs> You've just it, aged yourself. <laughs> I'm, I'm showing my like British roots here. Um, but basically, the day starts pouring rain, zero degrees, and. When you start climbing, you're now minus one, minus two, and it kind of sits below zero. Obviously, if it was snowing, so what a day! Yeah. And what a what a day that uh, that could potentially make you crack, and but you didn't. Yeah. And and I love just hearing the energy and enthusiasm you had for the day because I think that speaks volumes to uh The mental state you were in and the mental toughness that you showed from start to finish yeah thank um you. so the data the data is one thing, but the language I'm hearing from you and the words coming out of your mouth are another thing that are equally if not more important
0: yeah yeah that's i, I appreciate that and I think um you know that's important i think to acknowledge in in coach athlete relationships that um the coach can only get so much from from the data and that's why you know c- calls like this or even just notes in your training log or whatever helps um give that perspective um to whoever is kind of you know looking at it so that's that's good to know that you appreciate that and um i did promise last week to tell everyone how the ipa tasted as well and it was uh it was delicious it was uh, a <laughs> it, was, it was good so um but i only good. had one because i was driving home but uh yeah it good. was worth it was worth the effort um which was cool and yeah, it was not I feel like every time I do, you know, that was only also that was only my third gravel race ever. I did one um in, on the island in uh in Vic, just outside of Victoria last year in in June and then Stillwater in in uh in March and then this was the third one. So that you learn every time you you know you do one of these races. So for me, you know, st- try and get a warm-up or, you know, get closer to the front of the group or things like that and um, knowing when you can push it and when you have to hold back. So it's all just like, you know, every time you you toe the line, you're learning something new as well, which I think is important.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. And nothing fosters that learning quite like competition does.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, competitions just accelerate learning. They put you in a highly stressful environment with other people who are – you know ready to rip and and how you know it's it's a great way to learn about yourself to learn about the dynamics of the race uh how they unfold you know you can look back and think okay well maybe i should have done this here or that there um it's it's the best uh teacher yeah i think
0: yeah yeah absolutely and i think um yeah, it was to wrap it up. Um, an enjoyable day. Uh, I'm going to be there next year. Um, I'm s- stoked that uh, you know, it's a it's close enough to home that um, you know, we can make it work. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, and it kind of got me excited for for more and more racing to come, which is awesome. Awesome. Um, Good. Yeah, and then uh, to wrap up last week. So you know there was a an optional workout I did on Monday. There was the race on the Saturday, and then there's one pesky red box on Sunday afternoon, uh, a recovery swim that didn't get done. I apologise, but I also let it go in the moment. I haven't held on to that one. So um, yeah, <laughs> progress from two weeks ago.
1: Good, good, and yeah, that look. I fully am aware of the the fact too that you do this massive thing on Saturday that requires travel at either end of it. And then Sunday you do a big ride. I mean, this, this, this setup works great. If you don't have a family and another, and another life, you know? Yeah. Um, but that recovery swim, uh, you'll see those pretty frequently with me. I, I really think swimming is a, you know, I, you have a triathlon background, so, you know, but this is more of a bike program at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think swimming, uh, for cyclists or runners, you know, if you're not a triathlete is there an incredibly valuable way to recover. Uh, it's, it, you take the weight out of the equation. So it's non weight bearing. Um, for cycling, it stretches you out in a different way. Like in cycling, you're very, you know, you close off your hip angles, you know, you're, you're bent over, um, Whereas swimming stretches you out the other way. Yeah. And so that's you'll see those in there. But if you don't do them, like, don't beat yourself up about it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like we only have so much time in the day. And uh yeah, so I'm glad you were able to let that go.
0: Yeah. Well, I think um thinking back to my Ironman days, um I used to love those recovery swims on a Sunday afternoon. It kind of just like wrapped up the week nicely and the effort was always a little bit easier and you know, you'd probably done a long ride or a long run during that morning. So, I used to always love those um and, you know, th- this Sunday just gone, Lauren, my wife went for a run and then she went and had coffee with a friend. So I didn't get out on the road until noon to do my ride. And, you know, so I'm home just after four o'clock. Um, you know, and the choice really was, you know, push it and try and make the cutoff for swim, the, you know, the swim center being open or, you know, have a shower and hang out with the, the fam knowing that I'd been away for, uh, for the, the the rest of the weekend, so that was really the choice that was made. There, it wasn't so much about a you know being tired or or not wanting to do it. It was a life decision that's like, okay, I'm going to spend the the afternoon with the with my family. So, um, yeah, so that's you know, um, so I'm okay with that. I guess.
1: Yeah, and so you should be. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of people who maybe make the other decision and kind of regret it a few years later because they're like, oh yeah I should have uh maybe spent more time with my family (laughs) so yeah just never beat yourself up if you're making a decision uh for your family and I always think that's the right one and the other thing is I I maybe mentioned this in the first one or the second one but dude I could have not put that swim in there yeah and you would never have known (laughs) so again not that training is arbitrary like there's a plan there's a method um but I could have just left that out and you know, it wouldn't have been a red box in your program. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So totally.
0: Yeah. And it's what, well, it's listed here as a recovery swim. Now I wanted to talk to you about recovery in general. And now I feel like there's so many tools and supplements and CBD and all of these things that people are using to, um, to, to supplement, um, for the one of a better term, their recovery. Um, Obviously sleep's super important, like what's your general take on recovery and the tools that are you know out in the marketplace now?
1: That's a really great question It's so important i I think we way overthink recovery um, there's a few simple things that you can do in your life uh, to recover and you brought up sleep uh, this to me is like the number one thing that people should be considering when they think of recovery. So, like, figure out how in your life you're going to incorporate more sleep. And we chronically undersleep, especially as we become adults. Uh, like, look at children. My kids sleep for about almost 12 hours a night. Yeah. And when they're asleep, they are like asleep. We used to get my son who was like kind of went through a bedwetting phase, we would pick him up, put him on the toilet. He would <laughs> pee. So he'd be aware enough that he could pee. We put him back in bed. He didn't remember any of that. Like he was basically still asleep through that whole process. Yeah. Um, so I think as young human beings, uh, we understand this intuitively. We maybe can't articulate it, but we sleep and Part of that is that we're growing. Our brains are growing. We're highly active in the day. We're almost like different species when we're kids. Uh, and I think we're way more in tune with uh, sleep. Um, animals are the same. Mm-hmm. Like, we have a dog now. And, and, like, she goes out. And when she's out running in the yard, it's full gas. It's, like, crazy. And then she sleeps. And she sleeps, like, 10, 11 hours a night. Like, hardcore. Hardcore. We don't pump them full of caffeine. We don't pump them full of sugar. We don't do all those things that kind of, uh, you know, trick us into thinking that we're okay. They just sleep. So I'm putting a lot of emphasis on this because this is one of my biggest frustrations is I think we, we constantly look for quick fixes to everything Mm -hmm. and in a sport like triathlon or cycling, there's always some piece of new equipment. There's always something that you can buy um, that will make you a little bit faster or whatever. Um, and on the recovery side, that's true too. There's lots of things that we can do, but the number one thing, and I can't harp on this enough, the number one thing that is going to help you recover and get better is sleep. So like whatever it takes, you know, figure out your good sleep hygiene, make sure you're in a cool dark room when you sleep, don't take your electronics to bed. Um, you know, there's, lots of things you can do to make your sleep better. And yeah. napping is the same. If you have a luxury in the day to nap, now this is quite unrealistic for most people if they have nine to five jobs or whatever. But if you have the space to nap, like even 20 minutes kind of resets everything and is is like the best form of recovery. So yeah. enough about that. Sleep I think people will get it like sleep, sleep, sleep. Yeah. And we talk your number one priority. Yeah. And I agree. I
0: I think, um, you know, being able to track it, we talked about whoop last week and, you know, you've been able to see some of my data in there. And um, I think um, if you do, it doesn't have to be a, a product. Like even if it's, you know, jotting down the time you went to bed and the time you woke up and noticing patterns and how did you feel waking up and things like that, I think, there's a level of that accountability or even just um, knowing what works for you and what doesn't um, will mm-hmm. help you sleep better. And you said, you know, you mentioned a few things, but, you know, getting to bed at a consistent – and it's not always possible, but when you can, getting to bed at, at a consistent time, trying to wake up at a consistent time, you know, making the room cooler or darker, things like no electronics, things like that. There, There's a lot of research and, and things out there now which – or tips that can help you make your sleep better. And it's something that I feel like I've gotten better at over the last, uh, you know, couple of months. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it, I notice it, you know, even one or two days um, a week, it, you know, it, it makes me feel just not quite as good. Um, and there's going to be times, but the better you can, you know, the more consistent you can be, the better, I think. So, um that's, and then the other thing that um, the next point that that brings me to is around nutrition. Um, and I know that it's, um, it's going to be different for everyone. But day-to-day, ta- day day, do you have any kind of tips or general rules that you follow or that you prescribe uh, on a nutrition standpoint for someone who is active and training and moving quite a lot? And um, yeah, is there anything that you prescribe or, or do yourself?
1: Yeah, nutrition is a tricky one. There's just like so many different uh, pathways people go down now with nutrition. And some people have success with certain things and some people don't. I'm just like an old school guy. I think you eat good whole foods, you know, like we all know what classifies as junk food and we all know what classifies as good whole foods, like if it grows and and comes from the ground, it's probably good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's been highly processed and manufactured somewhere and it comes in a plastic bag, it's probably not. So, I, uh, you know, I I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say I have, like, a strict philosophy on what I think people should do for nutrition, other than that they should eat lots of good whole foods that come from the ground and come from nature. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm an ingredient reader. If I'm going through the grocery store, Uh, if I pick something up that's in a package, the first thing I do is flip it over. And if there's a whole bunch of ingredients that I don't understand, I don't buy it. Um, that's everything from, you know, cookies, crackers, whatever, to like salad dressings. Not that I buy a lot of that stuff, but if I'm going to, I read the ingredients and I favor things that have ingredient labels of stuff that I understand. Um, so, you know, if you pick up an apple, what's the ingredient in an apple? Well, it's just an apple. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, th- maybe that's a good choice. Um, so that's sort of a broad picture. Um, there's little tips, like, if you shop around the outside of a grocery store, it's probably better for you than going up and down the aisles. Like, usually the outside has your produce and your, you know, your, uh, you know, your meat section or whatever. So, you know, that's not a bad strategy. Um, and then, you know, from a performance standpoint, uh, I think one of the fallacies that a lot of people have gone down is like trying to take carbohydrate out of their diet. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm definitely not a believer in that. Um, you know, as endurance athletes, you know, we, 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 we use up muscle glycogen, and if, if you run out, you bonk, and anybody who has experienced that knows what it's like. Now, yes, you can you can increase your ability to, to metabolize fat, and the intensity that you're going on at will certainly contribute to that, but you're still using up carbohydrate stores. There's a an expression, and that's that fat burns in a carbohydrate flame. So, you know, if, if you run out of muscle glycogen, it's an awful feeling. Um and in the event you did on the weekend, for, the, for example, like you, the percentage of carbohydrate you're burning through is pretty high, yeah. very high um, at that intensity. So you need to replace that. Now, I think where I think the trend to sort of eliminate carbohydrate has come from the idea that we need to eliminate sugar, um, refined sugar. And I'm all for that because I think there's there's sugar, you know, sugar in the process that we typically get in basically every product in a package is, yeah, it's awful. Um, But carbohydrate comes from all kinds of other places like, you know, root vegetables and fruits and all these other things have carbohydrate and sugar. And it's in a a form that's uh, much, much better for us to use as opposed to like dumping, heaping, you know, teaspoons of white powder in coffee, you know? Yeah. So, I think that is probably where people have been misled a little bit is, yeah, I, I totally agree. We want to avoid the refined type of sugar and carbohydrate. But as an endurance athlete, you need, uh, you need good forms of, of carbohydrate. So yeah. I think just eating a well-balanced meal that is like well-balanced food that's primarily whole foods, what I would call whole foods, like from nature is a good general strategy to have.
0: I agree. And I think it's back to your point about sleeping or recovery. There's quick fixes and tools and things you can buy and fads that people come on and off from. Um, but really standing the test of time is, you know, eating more plants and eating whole foods and, um, eating at the right time and probably smaller meals. And, you know, there's a lot of things, but really there's no silver bullet a- around nutrition. It's just common sense, I think.
1: There is. And you know, I, for sure. So the bulk of your eating like normal day-to-day eating, I think you can stick to that. Now, when it comes to nutrition, as far as it, as it goes with like in, in a race or in a long training day, well then, yeah, you can kind of lean on the nutrition products available, um, through various companies because they're kind of just putting it in an easy to consume package. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to carry a, a you know, a, a huge stock of bananas in your back pocket, you know, yeah. uh, when you're cycling, right? So, um, and, and there's great products out there, I think, uh, you know, I, I won't name brands specifically, but, um, you know, there's some that, that pay a lot of attention and, and take a lot of care in, in how they're developing, um, you know, what they develop and, and making it useful. So I think it, I'd encourage people to just source those out and and uh, see what works for them yeah. um, not all products are going to work for all people but I think eventually you'll land on something that your, your stomach agrees with and yeah. you can kind of go from there.
0: Well I think that's an important point um, to emphasize as well is practicing so you know you can't expect to jump into a race and try something for the first time or you know put in more than your body is used to um, so I think that, you know, using those longer workouts or more race simulations or even racing, um, you know, in some of those lead up races to actually practice a nutrition protocol or use the products that you think will work for you, um, is really important as well. You know, I've seen a lot of people show up to an IMAN or a race for the first time and, you know, trying something for the first time or they're eating way too much or way more than they've tried in training. So um, is that your kind of general advice as well?
1: A hundred percent. Absolutely. You have to practice your nutrition, particularly for the longer stuff where it becomes very important. You know, you can kind of get away with it up to an hour, hour and a half. Um, But anything longer than that or multi-day events like you're going to do, your nutrition has to be very on point and you have to practice it. Your gut, you can train your gut. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I'm always amazed when people do show up at a big event like that, having not practiced and they don't know what's actually going to happen. Um, you know, you should show up at an Ironman or a big, long bike day or a marathon or whatever you're doing, knowing exactly, uh, what nutrition you're going to take and knowing when you're going to take it and knowing how it affects your gut. Yeah. There should be, like, no surprises. Like, once a week going into these things it should be like a dress rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: it's actually um, – it it brings me back to the weekend. And I was thinking about, um, you know, because I, I ate often, um, early and often, and fueled really well. And I think that showed in the, in the end result and the effort. But it was so cold trying to get – so, I had big, thick gloves on, trying to get gels out of my pocket from under a rain jacket. It was like – Oh, yeah, that was exactly. probably the hardest part of the race. And you saw everyone struggling as well. So there's, yeah. um, you know, logistics there that I learn is in a race like that, you know, maybe it is a top tube bag or it's something that's a little bit more accessible. Um, when you know the conditions, you know, and your dexterity in your fingers and just the ability to, to have access to your nutrition, um, isn't as easy. So that was a, that was another learning thing. But yeah, seeing people trying to <laughs> open their gels or get into their pockets was, was quite amusing from Saturday.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And talk about one of those things that is hard to learn unless you're in that situation, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but you're totally right. I mean, that would be tough, but it could have been a 15, 20 degree day and, and then you may not have learned that lesson. Totally.
0: (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You take everything from it. Um, Great advice. Uh, looking at this week, so we're midweek now. Um, early in the week, I did a run. Um, I put in the notes that it felt awesome. I actually felt like a runner for the first time um, in this build-up, and for the last little while, I felt like I could keep my effort under control. I felt like I was running with good form. Um, so that was a that was a nice feeling, and I'm excited about the way that uh, the running has been building um, over the last few weeks.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was great. I was actually surprised you felt that good because that was on Monday. Yeah. And that, so that was after your big thing. And, you know, going back to the recovery piece, I did harp on sleep a lot. But one of the other things I really believe in is active recovery. So, yeah. you know, not just shutting down and, and doing nothing. You know, I think moving a little bit after those really big, hard efforts is is important. It works some of the same muscle groups and can make you feel a little bit better so that's what that day was for and that's mm-hmm. what that run was for and yeah i'm I'm really happy to hear you're feeling good running
0: yeah. yeah i i am and i um well i followed that straight up with a swim so you know I, I drove to the the gym and and um did the run and then jumped in the pool pretty much straight after and that was the opposite feeling i felt i felt horrible so i think it finally caught up with me and I was actually weirdly – well, it's not that weird, but I was sore in places that I didn't um, realize until I started swimming. So, triceps and, um, you know, things like that where you're holding on tight in during the race for descents and you're kind of pulling on your handlebars on when you're climbing and things like that. So, I was actually weirdly um, sore uh, in, in some places that I didn't expect during that swim. So, um yeah, I think it finally caught up with me uh, late afternoon on Monday, uh, and that swim didn't feel awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting, eh? I, how I, I just what you said there, I found, oh, yeah, like, of course, you know, you're, you do a hard effort on gravel up and down, and yeah, there will be weird things that get mm-hmm. sore.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was strange and you don't notice it until you kind of do something like you're not you know you're not sitting around going oh gee my triceps sore it's it's when you put load on it or pressure on it that it, I realized that and um yeah, it was a uh, it was an interesting feeling and that's once again something to to note like you know the strength work that we've been doing will help with uh longer days in the saddle, not only for stability purposes, but that functional strength. You know, you're holding yourself up and you're gripping on the handlebars to try and get some more leverage when you're climbing. And then, you know, rough, rocky uh descents where you're trying to pay attention, you're gonna be really, you know, tense and tight. So things like that are important to kind of think about, um, you know, to work on as well, not just the the, the heart and lung fitness as we talked about in the in the first week.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yep
0: um perfect mate um what's what you know we're going to continue the recovery this week we've got a a, you know one session a day which is really nice for the next few days um a a full day off on the weekend which will be great there's a forecasted really rainy day on sunday so i think i'm going to take sunday off and maybe sleep in and grab coffee with the girls and then uh what's on what's on tap for next week as we kind of ramp back up um looking towards the, uh, Guildford gravel race in, in a couple of weeks here as well, which is another build up event that we've, that we've, uh, put on the calendar.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, one exciting thing is that we move you into a different phase in the strength department. So you've, you know, for the last three or four weeks, you've been in a foundation block where we're just really priming your body to actually do some real loading. Um, so this will be, this coming week will be the first week where you actually do some real loading, which will be good. Um, It'll be another two-week block, you know, because that that gravel grinders in two weeks. Sometimes I'll do a three-week block, which we did at the beginning of this one. Uh, this is only a two-week block, and and part of the reason for that is you're going to have a big stressor on May the 19th in two weeks from now, and I just want to be mindful of how you feel coming off of this one. Um, so there'll be another recovery piece starting May 20th. Um, so really, in the next two weeks, you can expect. Uh, very much the same type of work that you did over the last few weeks with the exception of the strength component, which is going to get into some real loading now that your body's really ready for that.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Great. Um, well, mate, always a pleasure to chat. I'm, uh, excited to continue to, uh, to have these conversations each week, um, and answer some of the questions that people have. Um, yeah. And, uh, Look forward to uh, connecting again next week and enjoy the the Viking crew event <laughs> this Friday. Uh, I'm going to make it out one day <laughs> when I come and visit.
1: Um, I'm hoping you do that.
0: Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll make it a summertime thing. I'm not sure I want to do it in the middle of winter, but it's probably better to start in the summer and ease into it.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. I, you, you definitely want to ease into it. <laughs>
0: uh, that's awesome, mate. Well, I really appreciate the time again and uh, look forward to chatting again next week.
1: Sounds great, buddy. Have a a good weekend. Rest up.
0: Sounds good. Thanks, Jazzy. See ya. As mentioned, Jasper and I would love to hear from you. Please send your questions to stories at innervoice.life and we'll answer them on next week's show. Don't forget to follow along with my journey on Strava and social media. And remember, consistency is key. We look forward to bringing you the coaching call again next week. In the meantime, share this episode with a friend, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Your support means a lot. I'm Travis McKenzie, and this is The Coaching Call, a part of the Inner Voice audio experience.